0: Servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from our God and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depths of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This
1: is the word of God. Hi, folks. I need a lectern, so whoever is singing songs from this, good luck afterwards. Um, And I'm also stealing your pencil. (laughs) I like pencils. Uh, We're beginning a new sermon series. I I might just pray again as we come to God's Word and as we think about that wonderful passage from Philippians. Would you join me? Lord, thank you that Paul wrote this beautiful and interesting and challenging letter to the church at Philippi. Would you speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, now and over the coming weeks, that we may grow in the knowledge of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, Not all of you have met me, so I'll just introduce myself. My name's Andrew Errington. I'm the senior minister here. uh, And it's really good to be with you. And if you are new or visiting, let me just say welcome, uh, uh, adding it to Kes's welcome. Uh, As she said, we're beginning a new series looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I want to begin by today, tonight, by asking you to think about your hopes for yourself. What are you hoping for, for yourself in the future? I don't mean so much your hopes for your work or your relationships. Uh, What I want you to think about is your hopes for yourself as a person. To put the question differently, how would you like to grow or to mature as a person? What would it look like for you to grow and mature? Now, maybe you don't tend to bring questions like that out into the open or have never really thought to ask them. It can be dangerous, actually, to ask questions like this. Sometimes being explicit about question like, questions like this can make us face some quite challenging things about ourselves, or about our friends, perhaps, or our church community. But we should ask questions like this sometimes, I think, because we often do have hopes churning away underneath the surface of our lives. Or at least we have assumptions about what the future will hold or or what it might hold. We sometimes have longings for certain kinds of change things about ourselves we would really love to shift or perhaps we have assumptions that things will still be the same in the future or doubts that things will ever change. Unspoken hopes, aspirations and assumptions are often there beneath the surface of our lives and even if we never bring them up and have a look at them they can still pull us along like an undertow or surface unexpectedly and surprise us. So let's begin by thinking about our hopes, what it looks like to grow. Today, as I said, we begin a new series of sermons at church, reading through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, known as Philippians. Uh, Philippi is a Roman colony. I'll just let you Google that uh, on your own time or right now, if, if things get a bit dull. It is a letter full of hope and energy for the journey ahead, written to a church that was basically spiritually healthy. Uh, The church at Philippi wasn't a perfect church, no church is perfect, but Philippi was a church Paul was genuinely thankful about. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul writes in verse 3. The passage is printed, by the way, on the other side of the sermon outline if you want to look at it. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This letter is not primarily a letter of correction, but encouragement. A lot of Paul's letters are letters of correction. It's not hard to find them. Look at Paul's other letters. He's often frantically trying to get a church back off the wrong track and onto the right track, but Philippians, they're kind of on the right track he seems to think, and so he's encouraging them to just keep going on it. He begins the letter by expressing deep confidence that a good work is underway. I am confident of this, Paul writes in verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is doing something good in you. He is going to finish it. And so he's going to say, so, so get with the program. Get on board. And because of this, this letter gives us a wonderful chance to think about what maturity looks like, what growth looks like as people, as Christians, and maturity as a community. This letter will challenge us to press forward in the Christian life, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul is going to say in chapter 2. It is a letter full of energy for growth, full of momentum, which is very striking, actually, because Paul wrote this letter from prison. We'll see more about this next week, but suffice to say that we might have expected a letter full of depression, And impatience and loss of hope. If there's anywhere you're going to lose momentum in your life, it's in prison, surely. But what we find is the opposite. Paul speaks of eager expectations and hopes. He writes of how I press forward, I press on toward the goal to win the prize. That's in chapter 3. Very striking thing for somebody in prison to say. But where is all this energy directed And where should our energies be directed if we're going to go forward? Where does Paul want them to head, and where should we want to head? Well, this is where the first passage of the letter that was read before can really help us. Because what we find here is a prayer. Right up front, the apostle tells the church at Philippi what he is praying for for them. And the thing about prayer is what you pray for tells you what you want. It tells you what you're hoping for. In Paul's prayer here, we get to see his hopes for the church at Philippi. We get to see what he wants for them, and what he wants for them is maturity. It's a wonderfully clear window onto what Paul thought growth and maturity in the Christian life looked like for them. And so it can help us think about our hopes for ourselves and for each other. So can I just invite you to come and have a look at this prayer with me this evening? We find it in verses 9 to 11. But Paul gets to it in a few steps that I just want to survey, glance at quickly so that we can focus on the prayer. In verses 1 and 2, we're told who this letter is from. It's from Paul and Timothy and who it's to to the church at Philippi and their leaders. And and we're told the kind of tone it has. It is a letter of grace and peace from the God of Jesus Christ. I won't say much more about this, but can I just encourage you to to watch out for how often those words grace and peace pop up in the Bible and especially in in Paul's letters. I think Paul thought they were a kind of summary of what the gospel meant. Then in verses 3 to 8, we have a kind of explanation of the way Paul feels about his readers. He feels deeply thankful to the point of real joy and deeply confident in their future, as I've already mentioned. At the end of this section, in verses 7 to 8, he takes a little bit longer to say why he feels this way. He speaks of genuine affection, longing to see them. They're very beautiful words, actually. Read verses 7 to 8 again uh, sometime. I have you in my heart. I long to see you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's no sense in which Paul is just going through the motions here or dragging himself over the line to do a job. This is a letter with real attachment and and emotional um, authenticity. And What what gives rise to this this connection he has is what he calls their partnership in the gospel in verse 5 uses really similar terms actually in verse 7 when he talks about sharing in God's grace. Uh, The word underneath sharing and partnership is is a, a very similar word. And this is a key theme in Philippians, this theme of sharing in and partnership. It points to the idea that what creates Christian community and holds it together is not just natural friendship, not just a structure, but a fellowship, a common sharing in something, having something in common, what do we have in common? The gospel, God's grace. This is why we've ser- called this series Together for the Gospel. Oh, the image is, is that, maybe it's been up there the whole time, I didn't notice. The vaguely kind of political overtones of this, are it's, it's using the same colors as in that Obama image, very subtle. That's deliberate, Okay. This is, this, is a, this is a kind of semi-political letter in some ways. More on that to come, maybe, if we remember to talk about it. We've called it this, though, together for the gospel because of this theme of partnership and sharing in this common project and a common faith. And it's this connection between them that gives rise to Paul's prayer. The genuine love gives rise to... His prayer. Okay, so so that's what we're going to focus on now. So what does he pray? We'll have a look now at verse from verse 9. Can we just go to the blank screen? Otherwise, I will be distracted by the beauty of that image. (laughs) Such as it is. Verse 9. What does he pray? And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. For the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So what does Paul pray for, for the Philippians? What does he hope for them? What does he want for them? Well, he seems to envisage a kind of coordinated process of growth that involves love and knowledge and action. I'll say that again. It's kind of a dense sentence. It's, a, it's some kind of coordinated process of growth that involves love, knowledge, and action. In summary, what Paul prays is that their love will grow in knowledge so that they are able to carefully act well. I think that is a really interesting thing for him to have written. I think it has a lot to teach us and we'll repay as much attention as we can give it. For now, though, uh, let me just say, predictably, three things about it uh, to try and draw out the shape of what Paul is saying. So I'm going to make three observations about this prayer and what it means that I hope will produce further thought and questions and discussion. The three things, by the way, are on your outline. They're written. I've told you what I'm going to say. First... What Paul prays for here shows us that the root of Christian maturity is love. The root of Christian maturity is love. Love is the heartbeat and the foundation of the Christian life. Love is the thing that grows. So that without love, there can't be growth. Without love, knowledge will only be Arrogant, without love, action will be purposeless and misdirected. Maturity in the Christian life is not about something other than love. No, it's about love's growth, love's abundant growth, abounding more and more. If you are not a person of love, then you have some way to go in the Christian life. Okay, what is this love that we're talking about then? What is this love? Well, Paul doesn't actually specify. He just says, your love. What love? Well, I think he could speak in these general terms because for him it was kind of obvious. Being a Christian for Paul simply was an experience of love. It was an experience of being loved And of therefore loving in return. The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, says Paul in Romans chapter 5. Being a Christian for Paul was having your heart filled up by the fact that God has loved us in Christ. And out of that filling up, love is returned to God and overflows for others. The Apostle John said a similar thing beautifully. We love, he wrote, because he first loved us. At bedrock bottom, being a Christian is about love. A new love poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The root of Christian maturity is love, and it is this that will grow in the Christian life. When you hear these words... That your love may grow, what do they do to you? Do you connect with them? Do you know what Paul means by your love? As I've reflected on this this week, for me, they, they do connect actually with the foundation of my faith, which is an awareness of being loved by God and a love of Jesus that flows out in response. I don't always feel this in the same way, not at all. Sometimes I feel tired and grumpy and so on. At times I have doubted. Sometimes it has felt like the pilot light has gone out. But I know that this is what got me started in the Christian life, the love of God for me that made me love in return. What about you? What about you? What do you hear when you hear your love? I hope that like me, you connect. I hope you more than connect. I hope the fire burns bright. But even if it doesn't, even if it's faded, can I say, I bet there is still a flicker of recognition at the mention of God's love for us in Christ. I bet that however cold the winter you're traveling in, The fire is still burning. Perhaps you may need to talk to someone to get some help to fan it back into flame. If you don't recognize this love at all, though, then please don't despair. Not at all. That is actually just a wonderful invitation for you to come and learn about this love. Perhaps to learn about perhaps to learn about it again, as if for the first time. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, if you would like to know more but don't understand, then great, come, let's talk. I would love to tell you about this love that the Christian faith is all about. So would the people at Alpha, by the way. That's the first thing I want to observe about Paul's prayer the root of Christian maturity is love. Love is what the Christian life is all about. Love is the plant that grows. In the second place, though, what Paul prays for here shows that love needs knowledge to grow. Love needs knowledge to grow. Love, it turns out, is not all you need. It does not grow of its own accord. A plant needs sunlight and water and nourishment to grow. The same is true of love. It needs to be fed. And how is it fed? In knowledge and depth of insight, says Paul. Love grows through knowledge. That is a thought we need to slow down over. As if I wasn't going slow enough, I've only dealt with two words so far, so... Paul is saying here, I think, that love needs truth in order to flourish. That is not the way everyone today would naturally think. Often today, we disconnect love and truth. Many people have lost confidence in the idea of truth. We throw up our hands like Pontius Pilate at the trial of Jesus and say, What is truth? Claims to truth seem so unstable, so contested. So iffy. Love, on the other hand, we love. Love is solid. It's good. Love is the answer, proclaims the graffiti on the building next to this church. Put the slide up. I've got a. What an amazing slide that one is. I've put the circle around it myself. (laughs) That graffiti's been there for decades. It it may be that that graffiti wasn't originally written as a comment about Christian maturity, (laughs) but it serves our purpose. That's what we think. Love is the answer. Now, in a sense, Paul agrees that love is the answer. As we've seen, love is the plant that must grow, but it will not grow, says Paul, without truth. It will not grow without being informed by knowledge. Knowledge is the water, the sun, the soil that will make love flourish. Without knowledge, without the truth, our love will remain stunted. And so will we as people. Okay, what does this mean? We can just blank the slide, I think. What does this mean? It means that we need to learn in order to grow. What do we need to learn? I think fundamentally what Paul has in mind, at least for his readers here, is knowledge of the Christian faith. I think he's thinking partly of the things he's about to write to them in the letter. He wants them to understand who Jesus is and what he means more and more fully and deeply. And that's why he's going to write this letter and that's why you should come to the rest of the sermon series. So here is a powerful encouragement For us to learn the Christian faith, to grow in the knowledge of God and what he has done for us through Jesus, by studying his word. But before we all sign up for Bible college, not that there's anything wrong with that, good thing to do, but before we all do, we need to pause over this idea of knowledge just a little. Because... As you might have noticed, Paul uses more than one word to describe this knowledge. And this is interesting because it suggests that knowledge is complex in some way. Actually, the terms he's using make this more interesting still. Now, just a warning, this is going to get a little bit involved, um, but bear with me because I think the, the nerdiness is worth it. And if not, it'll only take about two minutes. So Paul uses two terms here. The first, uh, uh, epignosis, is a fairly straightforward word for knowledge. That could also be translated recognition. The second phrase, depth of insight, though, is interesting. It translates a a, a Greek phrase that's more literally all perception. The word used there for um, in the phrase esthesis is a word that normally is about perception, it's, kind of a, it's quite a kind of practical word in some ways. English translations struggle with this phrase for this reason, if you, if you look them up. The New English Bible has insight of every kind. The King James has all judgment, interesting, interesting choice. And the English Standard Version has all discernment, which is the best in my view. But the important point is that when we read in our version, depth of insight, we, we shouldn't think Paul is just talking about what we might call head knowledge, a kind of theoretical grasp of lots of difficult things, like, like you would know algebra. Actually, to know algebra, you don't just have to know the theory, you've got to know how to do things. But that's, that was on the fly, that's not in my notes, I'm not going to follow that thought, just stay with me. A, theor- a grasp of kind of theoretical knowledge, right, that can be good. And, and I think Paul thinks it's going to be good. He's going to tell them lots of things, but it's not his only focus here. Paul seems also to be interested here in the kind of knowledge that goes, that involves perception, the kind of knowledge that, that, that we grow with experience and with practice, almost like a kind of practical skill, the kind of knowledge that makes love grow, I think Paul is saying, is, is varied. We need to learn in a whole range of ways. Learning more about things, yes. But also learning by practice, by observation, growing our sensitivities to things. Practice in recognition, we de- need to develop the habits of those who know how to do things. So let's just ask broadly, how do you think you might need to learn to grow in knowledge in order for your love to grow? The good news here, I think, is that Paul is not, he's not saying that only smart people who can study will really grow as Christians. He's not saying that. In fact, I think he's more interested in kinds of learning that are within everyone's reach, getting the hang of things, learning through practice. I'm not against study and that kind of learning, of course. I think we have in this verse, and you might need to think about it, every reason to think that study can be a crucial route to growth in the Christian life. I hope you will learn much about God and about the Christian faith and about the Bible, and I hope this learning will produce Growth, But I also don't think that head knowledge is the only knowledge we need. We also need, as the book of Hebrews puts it in this wonderful phrase in chapter 5, we need to be trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. There's a lot of room for discussion here. You might like to ask a question or not. But for now, I'm just going to end it there and move on to my third point. The final thing, point three, The final thing I want to observe about Paul's prayer is that the goal of all this is carefully acting well. Love's growth, Paul says, bears fruit in discerning action. Again, he uses an interesting phrase there, so that you may discern what is best. It could also be translated, so that you can work out the things that matter most. It has to do with carefully taking the best course of action. And that's the aim, says Paul. That is what maturity looks like, becoming more and more a person who, who gets it right, who nails it when it comes to acting, who acts well, who takes the best step that lies before them. Uh, This is really interesting for a whole range of reasons. Let me just pick up two really quickly. First, again, this is different, isn't it, from the way we sometimes think about love. We often think about love as kind of big and vague and warm and probably not too concerned with things like making distinctions, being discriminating and careful. But the Bible says no, actually. Love bears fruit in careful action. That doesn't mean over-scrupulousness or being too cautious, always kind of having to go through a whole lot of moralizing reflection before you do anything. That can actually be a failure to act well. That's That's not being able to know what matters most. What it means is that love... Learns to care about the right path. Love learns to care about the right path. Love has an interest in ethics, that is to say. And I just perhaps that's not how you're used to thinking about love. The second thing I want to say is, is probably more important. It is that Christian maturity is not all about knowledge. Christian maturity is not all about knowledge. Knowledge is not maturity. No, knowledge in the Christian life is for something, it's for love's action. God's desire for us is not just that we know things, but that we act well. Some of us might have grown up in Christian cultures that, at least in our experience of them, got this a little bit wrong by overemphasizing things like knowing the Bible. Friends, knowing the Bible is great. I want to know the Bible more and more and more deeply, but knowing the Bible is not maturity in itself. And our goal for growth should not just be knowledge, because knowledge is for something. It is for enabling us to act well in love to discern what is best so that on the last day we may be pure and blameless. Okay, let's end, let's land this plane. I began by asking us to think about what we were hoping for. What kind of people we would like to look forward to as we look to our futures. Paul's letter to the Philippians is going to challenge us to be hopeful to look ahead filled with confident energy by the fact that God is really at work in us. He has begun a good work and he will finish it. You can live your life carried forward by this promise of God that he will do and finish the thing he started. So let's finish then by asking a different question, a more practical one. Not what we are hoping for, but what will we pray for? We've heard Paul's prayer, we've seen his hopes for the Philippians, his priorities for them. Now let's ask, what will we pray for? What are you going to pray for? Seriously, what are you going to pray for tonight, this week, for yourself, for other people you know, for this church? For myself and for you, I want to pray this. I want to pray that we will be renewed in the love that is the foundation and root of everything in the Christian life. And that this love will grow and flourish and fill out more and more through knowledge, through deep and wide learning, through practice and experience, through dialogue with one another and discovery So that each one of us and us together as a church are able to truly act well with care and clarity and boldness and decisiveness and generosity and integrity and grace. So that we may in the end, when all is said and done, when we have died probably and risen from the dead and the Spirit has finished his work, We will bring glory to Jesus, the love of our hearts. I hope that that is a prayer and a hope that you can get behind and be energized by. Let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you for beginning a good work in us as you did in the church at Philippi. And we praise you and thank you for your promise that you will not abandon this work, you will not leave it half finished, you will not give up on it as a lost cause, even though sometimes when we look at ourselves it feels like this work isn't going that great. We thank you for your promise that you will finish what you have started. And we pray that that promise will give us confidence to press forward in the Christian life and to pray. And so we do pray that our love will grow more and more in knowledge and depth of insight that we may discern what is best and be pure and blameless on the day of judgment. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.